Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz World Report. Our story today is about the battle against addiction from two people. My first guest is a young woman who will tell us about her journey into the depths of addiction. She's going to tell us what took her there and how she managed to get out. Her story will grip you in many ways. It'll make you feel fortunate for not having been through what she had to, but at the same time will make you feel vulnerable because she's just like you and me or even some Someone close to you like a friend or a family member. Addiction is one of those human conditions that has no boundaries. So brace yourself for a story of hope through despair, a battle of strength over weakness, and a story that's closer to home than you think. Her identity has been concealed to protect her. I'm going to call her Angela. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hi, how are you? I'm good, my dear. Thank you for coming on. Of course. I'm just going to introduce my next guest. My next guest is the larger-than-life Mr. Larry Lawton, who went from the ex-con to honorary cop and who's the brains behind the Reality Check program, which is aimed at helping people avoid destructive life-changing choices. Welcome back to the show, Larry. I'm glad to be back, Vip. Great show. Now, congratulations. I believe you're getting an award in Congress. I'm actually getting the actual plaque that was read on the floor of Congress last year, it's going to be presented to me uh, on the 15th. And what's it in honor of? Uh, my work with the Reality Check program and being the only ex-con in the United States being sworn in as a honorary police officer. Well, congratulations, sir. Very proud of you. Thank you very much, Phil. Let's get started, Angela. Tell us about your journey addiction um, in, in terms of, uh, give us an idea of the background from where you came from. All right. Um, so it was Brought up uh, pretty fairly normal, mm-hmm. um, you know, middle class, lower. Um, I it was just my mom, my mom and my older brother, mm-hmm. um, and I. Where was your and, father? Um, he they got divorced before I was born. Right. Um, I guess the while my mom was pregnant with me, um, they they split up, and you know he would kind of come sometimes. He was he he, he didn't really show up a whole lot um but it it i don't feel like it affected me too much i feel like i more so hurt for my older brother because i saw that he was sad um and what values were you brought up in your house i'm sorry what what values were you brought up with when you were growing up um well i went my mom was very very much church going baptist so um that was kind of brought upon us mm-hmm. uh, i went i attended a private christian school from preschool to 12th grade right. um and you know we were just taught to be respectful and um so a pretty normal yeah. family hmm? a pretty normal family oh yeah very relatively normal my um my grandparents were a huge part um of our financial means mm-hmm. um you know and, and i'm forever grateful for that um but but i did hear a lot about you know not having money and um you know i could just tell that i that i lived a little a little different of course from um you know a lot of children that go to private christian school um many of them came from money so um but i was okay with it honestly you know i just I was I was grateful for my mom and my brother and, and my grandparents and um, so nothing I, unusual I, about your upbringing. 
as such? No, it was it was pretty normal, just a regular old. Uh, you know, we we did family gatherings. We go to my brother's basketball games. Um, everything was normal. So uh, there's nothing. How old were you when you first uh, had an experience with any form of addiction? I was um, 13. So I began, um, it's kind of kind of an odd situation. I, you know, I was, I remember um, I was at a gas station with some older friends. Mm-hmm. And they started smoking some weed, and I was like, "I I want to get in on that." Um, that was like the first experience. And that same night, actually, I ended up taking a, um, some LSD, which I wasn't really expecting, but I was I was open for it because I knew as as soon as I felt the relief of the marijuana and just I felt that I could be myself, I was all in. But then. Um from a personality perspective, did you feel like you had to be part of the team and, and, and trying to look cool, or, or was it just natural curiosity? What, what was it? Um, I think it was a part of uh, fitting in. I mm. mean, I've actually talked to some old friends of mine, and they said I was a popular kid, but it's funny because my perspective is not like that. Like, I remember feeling inadequate um, not because of my family, but just as a person, I would just um, do a lot of comparing myself to other people, and and I just felt really weird. And um, were you ever bullied? I was never bullied. Mm-hmm. So you no, were a normal every, teenager. No, everything was everything was good. Right. So how did you feel before and after when you were smoking this weed? I just remember feeling like calm and i had heard a lot of people getting paranoid and stuff but Mm. for me it was just i felt as if a 500 pound brick was lifted off my chest and i could just breathe you know um and i began drinking alcohol as well so i i just i i just felt so okay um and I felt complete, like there was something missing, and I, and I never knew what it was. And, you know, people would say it's God when I was going to this private school and, and all sorts of stuff, you know. But I couldn't put the two and two together. I just, as soon as I have had any substance, weed, alcohol, acid, I, I felt cool. I felt comfortable. It sounds like you were looking for an escape. Yes, 100%. Um, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that that's what it, what was happening at the mm. time because I just was so consumed with how wonderful it was. I was like, I have found my thing. Like, other kids were, like, getting ready to go, you know, play sports, and I was, I found my, my thing. I was like, this is it. Um, and, and it was to escape from just a pain that that I felt inside that wasn't really caused by anyone or anything in particular. Okay, just hold it right there. I want to get to Larry. Larry, now you told me in our last show that you've pretty much tried everything. Or every drug in the book. uh, From what age? And 
Oh, for I started young too. I started about oh, 13, 14, and it was more drinking and stuff like that. But I wasn't bad about it then, mm. and I think I got it later in life. And uh, the reason most young people, and, and the reason I think you're calling her Angela, is, uh, did what a lot she did. We're all looking to get away. There's something missing in us that we're looking for, and we think we find it with whatever drug. Mm. And the reason it doesn't work is because you're going to try the next drug when you find out you either still have a problem, whether it's a, a confidence issue, a self-esteem issue, a sexual issue. It could be a lot of issues. And we we all, and anybody who's done drugs and stuff of that nature, is looking to, to find the answers to those things. And you're not going to get them. You're just going to keep having the same problems, having the same thoughts, and you're going to go to another drug and then another drug until you are, you know, at there's no level and you'll take more and more of something and before you know it, you are uh, an addicted person, person who can't now get off it, especially drugs that are physically addicting. And, and mental addiction to me is just as strong as the physical addiction. How long were you an addict for? Me? I was never an addict. Right. I was, I was a user. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. I never let the drug control me. I controlled it. And the reason Angela was an addict is because she let the drug control her. And it in the drug controlled her. She didn't control the drug. Angela, do you feel the drug controlled you? Yes, it it was all I lived for, and he is that he is one hundred percent correct. Like I obviously I started off drinking and and smoking and stuff, but mm -hmm. inevitably I ended up going to harder substances. Um, I tried everything, and I just couldn't fill the void inside, and and um, yeah. Well, once they do find that, and, and here's where the help with the reality check works, Vip, mm -hmm. is because it's so reality-based. It's all about that choice-making. You can make a choice to control it and not, or find out what your problem is. And that is the deeper core of good counseling or good programs. When you can find out like that somebody else had a, a worse problem, and it could have been, like I said, I always talk with younger people. A lot of them go through a lot of sexual issues. They don't know if they're gay or straight or they have thoughts of this. They're confused, a lot of them. And then you get to maybe self-confidence. They're not good-looking enough. They're the people that don't have the communication skills, and they're people laughing at them and bullying, and I'm glad you addressed that. So once a person finds that they can control that part of their life, they'll be able to control other parts of their life and not need to look for a drug to uh, handle that that part of what they're missing. And that's what Angela was looking for. And the reason she's sober now, the reason she's doing well, and I'm so happy she was with Turning Point and doing what she's doing, is because she's controlling everything else around her. And that's what's making her stay off drugs. And, and I applaud her for that. But Angela, now, from drugs, you actually had behavioral issues as well, right? Yes. You also yeah. suffered from some sort of uh, eating disorder? Yes, I suffered from anorexia and bulimia, mm -hmm. um, and I also cut myself, uh, caused self-harm. Um, Tell me why you would, would cut yourself. You know, like he was saying, I was just looking for some way to feel better, um, even though it seemed kind of odd that one would hurt themselves to feel better, but... Um, you know, and, and I think this is a problem that isn't talked about a lot because um, especially where I work here at Turning Point of Tampa, um, we come across 
a lot of people that self-harm and, and of course, are addicted to drugs and alcohol, but um, it's not really talked about. And um, Well, let's talk about it on this show. Walk me through what you were trying to do and why you were doing it. I mean, you had the drugs or you didn't have the drugs and you were looking for another high, so you decided this was sort of the cheapest way? Um, I would cut myself whether I was high or stone cold sober. Um, you know, it, it didn't matter. Mm. Um, I it was just something about the I I just remember the first time I did it and and every time since. As soon as I would walk me through cut, that scenario when you did that. I just remember like I went into my bathroom, my mom. My mom was like, she knew whenever I'd go into the bathroom, it wasn't good. Um, I would just be crying or whatever, for whatever reason. Um, usually nothing crazy. Right. And um, I just, I remember just doing it. And just, I repeatedly just cut my arm so many times. And when the blood surfaced, there was, there was like, like I talked about with the, using my first experience of using it was like that just release um it was just a release you know and i had all the love around me i had gone to a therapist but i wasn't being i couldn't be honest because i was so so afraid of telling somebody how i really felt but um, what was what was the relief i mean you've cut yourself I, i'm sure it's stinging you're, you're watching the blood flow what what's that relief what's there to be relieved about um you know i think some of it was just a, of my own self-hatred um towards myself mm-hmm. um you know and i just took it out upon myself but sometimes it, it was just like if somebody i i couldn't communicate i had a really hard time communicating and if somebody hurt my feelings or um, you know, not on purpose or, or on purpose. Either way, I would take it up out upon myself, and, and it it just it was just like this release, and it's very hard to explain to somebody that's never cut. Um, but there are so many people out there that struggle with cutting, and, um, and, it, and, and, it's, and what happens with the cutting also, it's a risk-taker. Uh, you're asking the feelings, Vip, and mm-hmm. I think you're missing where that it, it's an accomplishment. Uh, when a person cuts, it's not a suicide attempt. It's an accomplishment. It's an actual at-risk, and talk about at-risk and risk-takers. See, the person is scared to take a risk in another way, but they can take a risk in private because if they fail, that's why a cutter doesn't do it in front of people. A cutter usually does it in private, and they'll do it, like she said, in a bathroom or a bedroom or in a basement, and, and they'll do it with somebody else maybe who's scared to do that in the open. And then when it's accomplished, the blood is a feeling that I accomplish them, and that's that risk-taker in them, and then that reward. And it, it, it's an endorphin that can go through the brain right right there. It's, she feel, and, and she felt satisfied. So it's not like you felt you don't feel the pain. If pain was part of the process of getting to that great feeling why drug drug addicts don't fear a needle after they get it because they that's the little part that goes through to the to the high so there's those are the things i think you have to address with cutting and as is right i do see more and more cutting and i see you know i can notice it on even you're very familiar with this oh absolutely it's uh, you she's exactly right it is more and and all the addictions she's right it's and it's part of those Finding out what the inner core and why they need to have that, 
And it's not just the ten, it's it's that that feeling of accomplishing something. And it's usually risk takers who do that because and then risk takers are two people. And I talk about this all the time. You know, all the stuff that happened to me and now Andrew and whoever, you could take those negatives and turn them into positives. And that's what we tried to do to help people, to try to make them take whatever negatives happen. We all have them, you two, everybody. You take those negatives, and some people are able to take it, turn them into positives. That's what Turning Point does. And when you have any kind of an addiction, in any kind of, uh, whether it's an eating disorder, it's a gambling issue, it's going to be a work issue, it could be whatever, all of those addictions are a way to feel accomplished. You did something. You, you, got, you, you reached the pinnacle of whatever it is. And you found out that, oh, that's what I need. That's what I needed. And that's where Angela was going. I think most people who are doing this mm. can get help, and they have to get it help the right way. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Like, you know, I don't deal one-on-one counseling too much, very rare, uh, on special circumstances. But other than that, I deal with the group uh, level with the reality check program. And we actually talk about all those issues of, of coming to a point in your life where you have to make that change and everybody has to do it but larry explain However, to me one thing sure. um having just spoken to angela and, and i and i spoke to her a few days ago as well i'm trying to figure out what causes the addiction because apart from being raised as a single parent in a single parent household she's had the love of her grandparents i've even asked her i said well was something missing but apart from maybe the teenage issue, because all teenagers have a certain degree of uh, low self-esteem or whatever, where does it go to the extent that you get into an addiction or substance abuse or, you know, body abuse? Because that, that's well, I mean, an extreme. So what do you think is the cause of it from what you've experienced? Well, what I experience with addiction issues, it always comes down to, well, of course, if you can get to a person younger and get to them. And it, most addiction issues are they're trying to get to that feeling of whatever's bothering them to go away. And once you can get to that, and that's where still say 12-step programs do work, or a lot of programs have, have success in finding out what is making a person do that, to get to that addiction stage. Addiction doesn't happen. I've done heroin. I've shot heroin, not shot it, snorted it, and I wasn't addicted to it. So it's not like people will say, oh, you do one thing and you're addicted. That is not true. An addiction personality is a person that's trying to find that thing and they'll keep doing it. You can be addicted to running every day and run yourself to death. Uh, there's been cases of people who drank so much water they died. And, that, and that's true stories. You can look them up. So my point is whatever it's taken you to, to push yourself to that limit that's when the addiction comes involved. And it's not a one-time incident, Vip. If you did something, you don't have that propensity to find that problem that you're using. You just experimented with that one thing. You're not going to become addicted. If you're still looking to find a problem to solve in your life, Vip, and that problem comes very, very personal, that it takes years, sometimes it never comes out of people. And I talk about that with young people. Like I said, it could be, a self issue could be a mutilation issue it could be something a, a body part and they feel they're not inferior or a sexual issue we find most of them you know kids going that's why kids start that stuff in the beginning because they have so many mixed feelings and we as adults and parents and counselors and and people who deal with the young community have to realize that and get that and that's what i do with the reality chopper comes a point that at whatever age they know right from wrong 
And you have to explain to them in the right way and have them find the answers. The reason I have such a high success rate, VIP, is I don't change young people. I wouldn't change them. She changes herself. We give them the tools and the views and the and the consequence-based end of it, mm. why they should change it, why your life can be better, or why, you know, the whys, which they never see. They, they never think it's there because they're so deep into that. Why am I feeling this? Why am I gay and my friend's not? Why do I have feelings towards a, a girl and, I, and I'm a girl and I shouldn't or whatever it is, a guy and, a, and, and I, I shouldn't? So those are all feelings, and that's where we get to the addiction. Well, you now, raise an interesting people, point, and I want to ask Angela this. Um, Angela, do you yeah. think your addiction, do you think, because there was nothing profoundly wrong in your life, yeah? Right. But do you feel addiction is something that you're born with, that this, this particular trait, this particular style of, of uh, hab- habitual consumption of something? There was something wrong in her life, though, Vip. There was something okay, wrong. Okay, but let, let, me, let, me, let, me get a, let me get some feedback from her. Um, Angela, do you think it's something that is beyond your control sometimes? Um. Uh. That's a tough one. It's really tough for me because you're right. I'm I, like on the outside, there was nothing mm. extremely wrong. Um, but it, it's, you know, like I, I just couldn't speak up. Like I couldn't speak up about how I was feeling. And, um, you know, and he's right. You know, I've done, a, done, done lots of opiates as well. And I, you know, it's, I've also know people that have done them and, they're not addicts, but it's something within, um, you know, and I thank God for Turning Point of Tampa and for me, um, the 12 steps of AA and such to, like, help me find out what was what was the issue, um, you know, and I'm still learning, um, but I don't know if I'm born, if I was born with it or if it just sort of happened. I, I honestly, that's something that I try not to think about too much because I know that there's a problem and that now I have a solution and I try not to question it too much. Good for you. Larry, what's your viewpoint? Well, you know, what she said is right. I mean, I deal with families of all levels, Vip, and it has Mm. nothing to do. I mean, everything has some, there's always uh, factors, but it doesn't matter. Some of the single mothers, uh, you take the president of the United States, whether you like him, Bill Clinton was pretty much, you know, he had an alcoholic father and he didn't have a, nice upbringing at all right. and here he goes on to be a Rhodes Scholar and, and the President of the United States so I don't think you can say oh it looks good, they're a great family this, I deal with families that you would know no, but it's what that's inside Angela that she's conquering now and whether it's the confidence she has now mm. for whatever reason that she now addresses that confidence and says it's not going to get better with the drug I'm going to handle it or in, in my sense is go tell someone to go after themselves you know what? I'm me. You either accept me for me, who I am, and I'll be a better person for it as well. And I can help you. And there is where I think when you say is addiction in it, I do think people have a either a stronger will or, or, or a weaker will. And that, I think, was not so much born, I think, when a person is raised. Uh, whether it's now you can go back to studies of they're raised with a strong mother, strong father, they're going to have more confidence or something like that. I think that all has to some. So your upbringing, your outside influences all have something to do with it. But I don't think 
that, that these problems can be handled with unless the person finds what it's making them do that. And there is something making, there was something making me. I was missing a lot of things when I was younger, and I, maybe I didn't feel adequate enough in whatever reasons. And that is what you have to find out and say, you know, accept yourself or love yourself for you and people who, who are around you. And, you know, the, as much as I've accomplished in my life, I know there's people out there who, whether they like me or not, or they accept me or not, I don't worry about that anymore. I know how I feel, how much good I do, right. and I think I have to live on that and not live on what other people are going to think around me. Okay, here's another thing I wanted to ask, because in my previous two shows with um, people from the Turning Point of Tampa, they gave, they said to me a very interesting thing, and they said that um, addiction is something that's within you. There are some people who will be a user like you are. Uh, there are some people who are just born to be addicts. Are they right? I don't believe they're born to be addicts. I believe people, I think we're all born, I don't think there's a gene in you that, that says you're a, you're an addict. Mm. I think there could be upbringings from a very, and it could be as far back as, you know, a few months old and not being told or how to act. Or I mean, there's so many studies going on about that. As mm. far as actually born with it, I don't know if there's a DNA or, or a gene in you that says you are uh you're you're going to be an addict like there's a cancer gene or something like that we all have and some of it doesn't come out and some does right. so i that's a great question but I, I don't i think it really has to do with our upbringings our surroundings and our inner self so it still comes back to choice absolutely i think everything in life comes back to choice i make a cho choice every day when i do my program mm. to go to that program and help the people Right. Now, they have to make a choice to come it, or they either have a consequence to meet, mm -hmm. whether they're court-ordered or not. And that's the consequence-based program that we, we're in. I'm not in a, a yelling and screaming in, uh, program. I'm in an opening of mind, giving good information, and letting them absorb that information. Right. When you can do that to some people, they will accept it. Sometimes not today. Sometimes it, Angela had to get to a place in her life where she wanted change. And she did it, and it there was a, there was a traumatic. Everybody, I explain it this way, and you'll love this bit, and your listeners will as well. Everybody has to hit a bottom. Now everybody says, "Well, let's make them, let's them all hit their bottom right away." Nobody knows what the bottom is. Let me explain. A person like you, Vip, might go home, have a few drinks on your way home, almost hit somebody, get home, be shaking, and you never will drink again and have that few drinks in a drive. You hit a bottom. Another person drives, gets stopped for a DUI, spends a night in the county jail, and they hit the bottom. I'm never going to hit a bottom. Then you get somebody like me, Vip. I was arrested for some serious stuff, and I still didn't hit my bottom. I hit my bottom when I was in the hole in prison. So everybody has a different bottom. When they hit that bottom is when we, society and programs, should be there to help them. And I think you don't push them to hit it. Because nobody knows what a person's bottom is. We have to keep trying to find that bottom with that person with at least consequences as possible. But there will be consequences like there were with me, and I'm sure there were with Angela. And I'm sure there's financial, or there's uh, legal, and there's a whole bunch of stuff right. that goes around that. I just want to so ask, I just, I just ask Angela, talking about bottom, Angela, what were the three worst things that happened to you or that you had done because of this whole addiction issue? Um. 
I, I agree with Larry as well. Um, my, you know, like, the when I decided to come to treatment was mm. not when I was arrested. It wasn't when, you know, I was sleeping around with drug dealers to get more dope. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily when I was, the moment I was in my grandfather's wallet and in my grandma's purse stealing from them, stealing their car at night, going... Just, I, you know, I just, I stole, I totaled boyfriend's cars, um, you know, and that wasn't my bottom. My bottom, I remember just being on a Greyhound bus, coming back from doing a lot of, a lot of opiates and benzos and, um, you know, oxys and stuff down in Naples, and I was on my way back and on a Greyhound bus because I totaled my car, and, um... And I had, like, this moment where I just was like, I cannot do this anymore. Um, and that moment, I believe, will never keep me clean. It will never keep me sober. Um, you know, like, I I believe that there is something inside of me that as soon as I have a first drink, the first hit of, hit of whether it's oxys or whatever it might be, um, I want more. Like, I just want more of everything. And, um, you know, I have to remember that just because I'm not at that low, low spot, like, I can come up with any reason to to mess up and go back, um, you know, and that's why I'm so vigilant and I love helping people here at Turning Point and seeing them at, you know, what they think is their bottom, which I, and I believe because when I was at mine, I believed to my core that, like, I was done, you know, but... I've I've picked back up after um, I said I was done before, um, so it's kind of just like that continual working on yourself and getting better. Well, don't don't you get mentally tired because you're always vigilant? I mean, um, you're watching a show or, or or you know it's Friday night or Saturday night. Your friends are going for a drink and and, and things like that. And you know if you start one, you'll have another. And and you know how do you get over that temptation that just one is not gonna make me an addict? Um. Well, I've I have like personally proven to myself. Mm. I've I've tried to go out and have one drink once, and um, it was it led me uh, to the ghetto getting crack. Uh, so, I, I mean, I know the thing is, is addicts, alcoholics, whoever, like, we know that, like, we want more. Like, mm. we're not going to be able to have that first one. But at that time, we have the screw it, and we're like, I just want to feel relief. But, you know, for me, this time around, um, I, I've had to, you know, I've had to change my friends. Um, and, and I came to realize I really didn't have many friends. Right. Um, because I had kind of pushed everybody away, and I only wanted a, my dealer to be my friend mm-hmm. or any I was going to go there. And, and, and Larry, I wanted to ask quick. you, how does the Reality Check program handle temptation? Well, you know, I was just going to go there with mm. what Angie said. So she's so correct, and what the best thing she's doing is helping people because when you help people, you see your own past and you see how the low could be. Mm. You know, there'll, there'll be incidents that Angela has that will she'll flash back and say, I don't want that anymore. I do it with the prison. 
I think back of friends of mine that are dead and stuff of that nature. And what she's doing is she's going to think about not right before maybe wanting to go out, she's going to think about that lonely bus ride and whatever the bottom. Maybe it wasn't the stealing or losing it or not going to things. She's going to have consequences. Those are the consequences she had from making the choices she made. And if she keeps teaching, she'll be able to remind herself at a time when you forget to teach is when you forget and that goes for everybody in life. When you forget to teach, you, you, you fall into the same ruts that you were in. Yes, friends, we all know that as, as older people that, you know, you don't have many friends. You have a lot of associates. You can count your friends on a hand. You're a very rich man. And uh, that is very true. And I think you know, Angela knew that as well. And that's why she didn't care about that. And I think everybody, once they find out what they've missed in this whole life, but a lot of people are living the lie, you know, whether it's they're under the table uh, alcoholics or, or drug addicts and, oh, I can handle it, I can't. Now, is it affecting their life? I mean, that's the real key, you know, with anything you do, mm-hmm. if it's too much to affect your life, then it becomes a problem. But if it's not, I mean, that's like myself having a few drinks. I do. I don't do drugs. I don't do drugs because I don't think I could do a drug and stop. Well, it. here's the dilemma, though. It might not affect your life, but you could be doing what's considered illegal, right? Absolutely. That's my. That was my next point. Mm. Uh, I mean, I. I don't think smoking a joint or doing a line of coke would hurt me. I don't do it because it's an illegal thing, and I have a business to run, and I have, there's a consequence to all those actions. And it, that consequence might not be an addict like Angela's is, but it is a consequence we all have to face. We have consequences. And that's why, you know, I think everybody has to find that teachable moment. I have that teachable moment with the reality check program. And we teach with, I mean, we get a lot of people who've done drugs and they say, you know, I didn't know it was that bad. I needed to hear some of this stuff. And I even remembered it when I was sober. So they were high when they heard it and they remember it when they're sober. So that is a testament to how powerful what we're doing is and how we are making them change themselves. Angela changed herself. Yes, does she have help? Turning point, 12-step, other people around her that are helping her, whether it's Joan and, and, and the company at, at Turning Point, whatever it is, this, this program right now that might be helping her keep focused and keep on without thinking that minute. And that's important. I think we have to realize that. And it's not tiring, Vip, just like it's not tiring for you to get up and think of your radio show. Uh, Now, do you unwind maybe? Yes. Do you, you know, do you get away from it when you're around people watching a movie? I'm sure she's not thinking of drugs at that minute or something. But if she's in that moment of vulnerability, you know, we all have that and whatever we do it, but it's, it's not hard for a person to do it if they stay vigilant and teach and it stays in the forefront of their mind. No, and, and, I, and I accept that. But I just thought, you know, like you said, you know, um, I do think about the show, yes, and I do like to unwind. But if you associate um, – Angela, how many years have you been a victim of addiction? Um, I was using for nine years, ten years. And how old are you now? I'm 25. 25. So say about 40% of your life. Yeah. Okay. Um, when, and, 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 and Larry, if you think about it, um, you would associate unwinding with getting high. You know, like if I'm smoking. Me? No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about just in general. If I'm going to unwind, I'm going to associate with what do I do to unwind uh, maybe have a cigar, or a cigarette, a drink, or whatever. Now, all of a sudden, if I can't do that, and I'm and I'm trying to unwind, that means I have to find a distraction. 
to unwind so that I'm not tempted into thinking about what the feeling of a nice drink with, would be or, or the feeling of a nice cigar or a cigarette? Well, you know, Vip, what, what you're saying is I think there's so much to do in this world, mm. and we have to, you know, broaden our horizons. No, I'm not I contesting young, you. I'm just looking for guidance. No, I tell young people how mm. to do that, Vip. You know, I, I let them know, you know, they come to my program, and they, you know, with whether it's weed or some oxy pills and coke and different issues I get at my program. Mm. And I'm not an addiction program. I'm a choice-making program. I want to get that clear. And But what I do, because I help with a lot of that stuff, is I, I asked them, I said, how would you like to get up in the morning and do what you want when you want in a clear head? Now, some of them will say, well, I like being high. I said, did you? Then you know, did you like not having money? Did you like having to think how you're going to pay your bill the next day? Did you like a whole litany of things that you, you, you thought about now you're consumed the next day with? If you can get up and walk to the beach and watch the sunrise or you can – go golfing like I do or go to a movie at night or and there's things I do and I do this here's a drill I do for myself mm. Vip, and I think all your uh, listeners should do I look in a mirror every, every so often and say I'm going to quit something for three weeks let me explain I'll go in now I don't tell my friends I don't tell anybody else I, I mean I like a cold beer with lunch sometimes I do certain things and I'll say I'm not going to have a beer for three weeks now, if a friend comes up to me and says, come on, lad, we're going out to have a beer, I say, I'll go up, but I won't have a You know, I don't say why. I just order a water or order a ginger ale. Don't tell anybody. I do it for myself. That right. It shows me that I have it under control, and it doesn't have me under control. And it can go with eating. It can go with sex. It can go with whatever you think you might get tempted with. Quit something for three weeks. If you can quit it for three weeks, many people come back and say, yeah, I, I asked my young people, I said, do you smoke? I smoke weed every day. I said, I want you to quit smoking weed every day. If you can't switch, quit smoking weed for three weeks, you got a problem and you need to get help. Now they'll go, well, and I said, when your buddy comes up to you and says, hey, I really, look at this blunt, look at this crippy weed from California, this California sense of million, this purple haze, come on, let's smoke. If you say yes, you were just tempted by somebody else to influence your thoughts and influence you to do something you didn't want to Let do. me ask Angela this. Let me ask, Angela, you've tried yeah. various programs, right, in order to cure yourself? Um, I tried to just tell myself three weeks to stop. I, yeah, I, I tried those things. Wh which one hasn't worked? Everything. <laughs> Nothing worked for me. I've, I've gone to counselors. You know, I, I've I've gone to therapy twice a week. Um, I've gone to treatment several times. Um, it, you know, and, and but what did work then? What did work? Well, I was just going to ask. And like he was saying, when I was teachable and when I wanted. So help, being teachable I'm, means you have to be in a ready state. Not necessarily, because I was shaking like a leaf. I was throwing up. I had mm. the runs. I was so sick when I came to Turning Point, but I, I was willing. And having the willingness, and that just means the willingness to follow what Turning Point staff told me, the willingness to call people and get to know somebody that I don't know, but um, they've gone through what I've gone through. So in your mind, you were ready to turn. I just, I had the simple willingness of mm. just, doing action that I was told and not making my own. At the time, I couldn't make my own choices. I didn't know what to do. My mind tells me crazy stuff a lot. Um, it tells me, you know, 
oh, like, for instance, right now, um, my grandfather on my dad's side, he, I saw him last night, and he's on, like, his last day today, probably. And, you know, it's been it's been really tough, and I've gone through a lot of hard stuff. But, you know, I've, I've been able to stay sober and clean because I, I let people know what's going on. I talk to people. I talk to people that have the same goals and values as me. Um, you know, I don't have to hold things in anymore. Um, you know, like what Larry I, said, like what Larry said about sort of having a, a, a plan. Do, do you keep a notebook with you? Um, I don't keep a notebook, but, you know, I, I know what where I need to be, when I need to be there. I go, I go to AA meetings. So you keep your life orderly through a routine? Huh? You keep your life in order through a routine? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm I, like a, a person of society these days. I go to work. You mm. know, I go home. I take care of my dogs. I, I talk to my friends. I, you know, have a boyfriend. You know, I've, I've you know, got... Go ahead, Larry. What I think is important here, uh, what Angela's saying is very true. When Angela first seeked help, when she was open to it, meaning she hit her personal bottom and she was open to that help, she also ran into people, and I gather it was a turning point, that were non-judgmental and accepting in a way. And I don't mean it could be body language. It could be the way they looked at her and the way they talked to her, mm. that she felt that comfort level. And again, my, one of my most powerful things I do in my program is I don't judge anybody. And I, I think, you know, there's somebody who can judge us someday down the line. It's a lot powerful than all of us. But I think if, when we don't judge people in a society, we are able to help them because the first thing that happens when someone gets judged is they get defensive. And uh, I don't blame them. And that's why it's, it's very good that Angela's seeking help right now from the people she trusted to begin with, and she's still doing that because that's what will keep her on the straight and narrow. Not, nothing else will keep it. It's not a, it's not a, I wish there was a rubber stamp we could put and say, this is it, you're done. No, it's a process, but it's a process that can be easily, well, I say easily, it can be done with just wanting it more than anything else. Now, Larry, in your reality check program, um, a lot of people have come through. The ones who don't succeed, and there are a few, I'm sure, but the ones who don't, what is the main reason that they don't succeed? Well, you know, we're a consequence-based program. And choice? That's why I only do. Yeah, well, it's, everything is about choice. Life is about choice. But mm. when I say consequence-based, uh, I open a person's eyes to the consequences of what can happen by doing whatever it, it might be, whether it's crime or drugs or, or, or anything. How do you open their eyes? What do you do or say? Well, you know, the reality check program is based on four parts, which mm. is acceptance, and that's the first thing. They see a man like them, who, who's actually they glorified in their own way, a gangster, a man who made millions, and that's the first thing they see. The second thing they see is what prison is really like, which is what they don't know on TV, and if they've never been to a real prison, they'll not, every one of them say that. Vip. The third part is it brings the total thing, they actually relate to me because they have a grandmother. They, I talk about my grandmother who died when I was in prison. I talk about my nephew who was killed when I was in prison. I talk about a lot of different things when I was in prison. It's called What You're Going to Lose, the third section. And they start relating. You actually see their their minds changing and their attitudes, their shoulders, their, their way they sit. Everything changed. And then the fourth section 
is avoiding and dissolving bad associations, how to get away from those people, what, what they need to do, what's the most important thing in their life, I always ask. That's the basis of the reality check program, and it works with crime because I'm worked with uh, anger management programs. I'm worked with drug programs. I work with uh, uh, robbery prevention programs. So that's why it's based on choice making. Now, who comes to you? The 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 family members send um, the people to you, or do they go by themselves? Well, no, no. When I do, when I deal with a young person who's in trouble somewhere, the family member doesn't come in. Usually it's just them because a person doesn't usually open up mm. if there's somebody around that's already been judging them or, you know, wanting them. The court system sentences people to me, actually sentences them, or we get private people just call up and say, well, I want my nephew, I want my son, mm. I want my family, or I get hired out to groups, schools and churches and uh, businesses want me to speak to the family members of, you know, all your employees, let's say Fox News has how many employees and then they have kids Hmm. and they want to do set something up like that. So I do that too. Let me ask Angela one thing. Angela? Yes. How important was family support in in your turning around? Um, It it was was very important, you know, but um, at, at the same time, I wouldn't have blamed my family for not being there they mm-hmm. were they were there 100 percent. they supported me they 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 saw the depths that i went to but um you know at at that point i had taken action i had taken responsibility for my actions and um you know i, I my family means the world to me that i'm so close to them um you know and and i remember i remember looking at my brother i was i was dope sick laying on a couch and my, I called my brother over. He wasn't really talking to me, and we were neighbors. Mm-hmm. I called him over, and I, I looked at him. I said, I'm going to go to treatment. Like, I got to get off this. And he just started crying, and, and I, I just remember that moment so clearly. And, and it, it meant the world to me, absolutely. What's your message to parents and kids when it comes to these sort of issues? Um, you know, I would just for for the parents, just like watch watch your children, listen to them when they're talking to you, or like you know, let them know that it's okay um, to feel funny when you're young, and um, it's okay to talk about what's going on, and and the kids just be honest with how you feel, whether it's your parents, your your friends' parents, a guidance counselor at school, whoever, like just don't be afraid to speak up because. Because you're important, the kids are important, um, and I think a lot of times they think that what happens to them or how they feel aren't aren't that valid. But you know, drugs will take them. For the kids, man, drugs will take you to depths you never knew existed. Um, it may seem like just fun and a party at the time, but right. and that everyone's doing it, quote unquote. But but the darkness that I've experienced personally, I never thought it would happen to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really didn't. I didn't just with being a regular girl, you know, I, I stole and I lied and I did whatever it took to numb my feelings. Um, you know, and it's just, just asking for help and, and just talking. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. It, it, it's really tough. I, I remember like sitting in a dare class and, kind of giggling to my neighbor um, I was in fifth grade like oh that would never happen you know that's that's people that have had a rough time you know but it happens to anybody um, 
no, drugs I, and alcohol and, and led me down destruction. Thank you for that. And, and Larry, I've got about a minute. What would be your message to parents and kids? Well, and and how can they get hold of the Reality Check program? Sure. The best message is to be vigilant mm. and accept whatever your kid says with love. And watch what you say early in their life, because if you're saying stuff, uh, it could be, oh, whether it's prejudice or look at those faggots or look at somebody and, and then your kid's having feelings, he's never going to come to you. Whether he's having them or they're real or not, or he just needs some guidance, he's not going to get it from you and he's going to fear that from a very young age. They can get a hold of reality check, but just go online and go look up Lawton911.com, Lawton911.com, realitycheckprogram.com, or just Google my name, Vip Larry Lawton, and they'll easily find out uh, what we do and how we can help them. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Larry, pleasure always. Thank you, Vip, and good luck, and you stay strong, and, and whenever yeah. you're thinking bad, you know what to do. You know, go for that help. So, guys, thank you again, Vip. It's always good to be on your show. Thank you both. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout-out of thanks goes to my two colleagues, William Sanchez and Rick Buser, for producing the show. I'm very grateful to Robin Piper and Joan Brown from The Turning Point of Tampa for their invaluable input. Ladies, this show would not have been possible without you. For more fascinating stories, log on to foxnewsradio.com and click on to the Vip Jaswell Report. Follow me on Twitter at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page for more great stories from such great people. Keep your ears open for the next airing of the Vip Jaswell Report coming soon.